Mark chapter 7, and we're going to begin with verse 31. Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 31. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a, a bit of a lengthy uh, passage here because it's, it all, to me, is, ties in together. It's not that lengthy. We're going to go through this last part of Mark 7. We're going to go into chapter 8, and we're going to read down through verse 26. So um, listen in as we go through these passages. We have a number of different accounts. Again, this is Mark, and Mark is uh, brief many times when he gives a story or gives an account. It's a lot of action, but I do believe that this section of scripture that we're going to read here ties together. And, and um, I think the Lord has showed this to me. And see what you think tonight as we go through this this evening and see what God has to show us. Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 31. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, that is the deaf man, Jesus says to the deaf man, Epaphatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed. And he spake plain, and he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way. For diverse or divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and he gave thanks, and he brake, and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And, that, and they that had eaten were about four thousand. And he sent them away. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them and entered into the ship again, And entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet? Now here's the key to me of these accounts. This, the end of verse 17, 
verse 18, and then verse 21. So listen to this. Perceive ye not yet, neither understand, have ye yet your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? Having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. When the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught or saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands upon again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored. And he saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. And that's where we'll stop. Let's back up now to our first passage. We have, again, as you see see there, a series of events that are taking place. And I want to talk tonight about having eyes, see ye not, having ears, hear ye not, and do ye not remember. We have an account here in chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7, about a man who had ears, but he could not hear physically. At the last part of that passage that we just read, we saw a man who had eyes, but he could not see physically. And in between those two accounts, we have sandwiched in there, no pun intended, an account on bread. And an account on another feeding of 4,000, not 5,000, but 4,000. And we have a lot said in the Gospels and in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, on bread and physical eating. Well, let's go back to chapter 7 in our account of the man who had ears but could not hear. And let's see what takes place here. And I want to, I want to approach this tonight in a unique way. And I, I, again, I, I don't know, um, I, I just, I want to share, show you something that I think that, that I think the Lord has shown me and see what you think. There's a lot of different opinion as to what was Jesus doing in some of these miracles. Let's take it apart a little bit here and, and think about it because we get so used to these stories, don't we? But I want, but I want us to just step into the, step into the scene and see Jesus doing this miracle and then the miracle with the blind man and, and, and see some of the things he's doing. And, and let's ask ourselves why. And let me give you a possibility tonight as to why maybe he does these things. Four things from this miracle in chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. First of all, Jesus takes this man aside from the crowd privately. And then Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ears. And then Jesus spits, spits, and the saliva from his mouth touches the tongue of this man. 
And then Jesus looks up to heaven and he sighs, the Bible says. And then the man is healed. His ears are open. His tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. And here's what I want to give tonight as a possibility. Not necessarily focusing on the man who is healed, though a great miracle is done to him. And what a day for this guy. But focusing on the men who are observing this miracle. And I'm finding as I go through the Gospel of Mark that that is the focus so often in these accounts. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching. Over and over. And he teaches. How does God teach? This is something, again, I'm learning. Isn't it amazing to see Jesus in the New Testament, God in the Old Testament, and see how it's the same God? Same God. Same Lord. Same Savior. Doing the same kinds of stuff in the same way. God teaches through illustrations. God teaches through parables. God teaches through um, uh, uh, earthly, physical things. Important, big, spiritual truths. And I think even I'm, I'm, I think even in the miracles Jesus does, that we can learn lessons and see how He's teaching His disciples. And not only his disciples, but all of us who are his disciples that have come along. What do I mean by that? Well, let's go through this miracle here and see this miracle and the next one in light of that thought. So first of all, it says there in verse 32 that they bring unto him one that was deaf. One that was deaf. Jesus over and over again is saying, he that hath ears to hear, let him what? Hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. They bring to him one that is deaf. Before Christ came, these disciples, these men surrounding Jesus, these who Jesus is teaching, had never heard the wonderful words of life from Christ that came from the Messiah. In a sense, they were deaf. They knew the Old Testament. They, these, the Jews knew what God had done in the Old Testament. But though they knew God from the Old Testament, their ears had not heard the wonderful mysteries of the gospel and all that God had been up to and that he was now doing. In Luke chapter 10, let me just read it to you. The Bible says, In that hour... Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. He gave understanding. He opened their ears and their eyes to truth. And he says in that passage, even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. You know, I think maybe that psalm in the Old Testament that says, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast what? Perfected praise. And often we apply that to children. And I don't think there's anything wrong with applying that to children. Children have a way of praising God. And, you know, God said, you come as children, right? And even in that passage. But that passage could also be referring to these kinds of truths. That God reveals his truth. He opens the ears and the eyes 
of the deaf spiritually and the blind spiritually to those who by faith are willing, to those who are seeking. And he does, and, he, and this is the way that God works. So here's a man who's deaf. They bring him to, and then the Bible says, not only that, in verse 32, they bring unto him one that was deaf, and he had an impediment in his what? In his speech. He had an impediment in his speech, and that usually goes together with being deaf. This man could not speak properly. He could not speak plainly. I think when I read that of other men, can you think of anybody in the Bible who complained about how he couldn't speak very well for the Lord, Moses, and uh, many who just didn't feel that they could, that they were able, that Gideon, I think of, and how can I? I? Look, I'm just little old me. Boy, that's a good place to be, isn't it? To think we're just little old me. Not letting that inhibit us from serving God. But this man couldn't speak plainly. And our Lord is going to take the mouths of these really lowly disciples. These men that he had gathered around himself. These unlearned men. So boldly as we see in the book of Acts and later on going out here. He's going to take them and he's going to use their mouths to confound the wise. To hold your place here and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't have my PowerPoint tonight. I apologize for that. I just didn't get a chance to get that together. But uh, So let's turn over here and look over at these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Thinking on this thought, in verse, beginning with verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of what? This is taking your mouth, And simply proclaiming, hopefully with the power of God upon you, and not only your mouth but your life, but it is speaking the truth, preaching to save them that believe. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Now this is, this is crazy talk to the, to the Jewish nation, to, to anybody, the Romans, a crucified Messiah. How foolish. And yet, isn't this is the way, the way of God? He never does things the way we think he would do them. The preaching of the cross. We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. 
And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, things which are not, to bring to naught or nothing things that are. Why? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. It's all him. This is how God works. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So we see here, back now to Mark chapter 7, this man has an impediment in his speech. But Jesus is getting ready to give him his speech in, in a very unique way. And we see these men around this man, these disciples who the Lord is getting ready to turn loose into the world and go into all the world and preach this gospel and make disciples in the nations. Next thing in our story, Mark chapter eight, or chapter 7, verse um, 32, he has an impediment in his speech. In verse 33 it says, interesting thing happens here. Jesus took him aside from the multitude. Now, have you ever thought about that? He took him away from the crowd. He took him off seemingly by himself. I would assume his closest disciples are still there. But he took him aside from the multitude. The Lord had gathered these men around him apart from the multitudes in order to speak into their ears the wonderful words of life that they might later go out and proclaim it from the housetops. At times, we've seen that Jesus would take his men aside, those closest to him. He would teach a parable to the multitudes, but then he would take them aside and he would speak into their ears truths, revealing these parables, revealing these truths to them. And we have it recorded in the scripture. And then we see Jesus doing something else interesting. He took him aside from the multitude, verse 33, and he put his fingers into his ears. Can you picture that? Jesus takes his fingers and he puts them in the ears of this man. Again, I I have to ask myself if I'm reading this, why? Why did Jesus do this? I think he's teaching. I think Jesus is is illustrating to the disciples around him and to us some things that he wants them to learn. And I think it goes into that in Mark chapter 8 when he's saying, do you not understand? Having ears to hear, do you not hear? Having eyes to see, do you not see? He puts his fingers in this man's ears. Possibly symbolizing one whose ears are stopped. Stopped up. And they need to be opened. Someone who needs to be able to hear, to listen. Unplugged. Let me read you Zechariah 7. A couple of verses from Zechariah 7. Should ye not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets? But they refused to listen, to hearken, and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears, that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in his spirit by the former prophets." Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts upon them. There were many in this day who had their ears stopped and they were not going to listen to the Lord. They were not going to hear him. And this was had happened all throughout 
the history of, of this nation. We've seen that over and over again, haven't we? They turn from that rock. They would not listen. They would not obey. Jesus puts his fingers in this man's ears. And then look what Jesus does. He spit. Have you ever wondered why? Why did he spit? Isn't that gross? And he didn't just spit. But he put the spit on the man's tongue. Now, we don't really know exactly. It doesn't really give us explanation. Did he actually spit on his tongue or did he spit on his hand and put it on his tongue? And I, I've read commentaries and, and everybody has different ideas on this. But what about this? What comes out of the mouth of Jesus? The Word of God. What is he putting in this man's mouth? Spit. But could this be teaching? Could this be teaching something that these men around need to see and understand? I want to unplug your ears so that you can hear. And I'm going to put my words in your mouth. And you're going to go forth and you're going to give my words. And that's what's been happening since Jesus ascended to heaven. His words going forth into the world through those who follow him. Through those who will have ears to hear. Through those who will have eyes to see. The words of Christ. He spit and he touched his tongue. Out of the mouth of Jesus came the words of life. He is the living word. He will fill the mouths of these men who will take his words out into all the world. And then he looks up into heaven. wonder why he did that. The Lord Jesus came to do the will of the Father. And in all that he did, he acknowledged the Father. And remember that this man's deaf. And maybe just his looking up to heaven. He's teaching this man a lesson. That it's to the glory of the Father. That it's in the will of the Father that he's doing this. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. This man, Jesus looking up to the Father. This was a lesson possibly to this deaf man and to the disciples. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father. And then Jesus does another interesting thing. The Bible says when he looks up, he sighed. He sighed. And that word sighed means to murmur. It's a sigh of groaning, a sigh of grief. Isn't that interesting? What was he, what was he sighing about with grief and moaning within himself and grudging it's the same as the word in Romans 8, 23, as we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption of different bodies. For this we groan, uh, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. Um, obey those who have the rule over you. They may do it with joy, not with grief. It's the same word. He sighed with that within him. It may be because of the effects of sin on this man individually and how this man had lived so many years deaf, but I just believe it goes further than that. I believe the Lord is teaching these men, and I believe, as we see again in the next chapter, he's burdened by those around him whose hearts are so hardened. Their ears are plugged. They will not listen. He wants to put his words in their mouths, but do you still not understand? Are your hearts still hardened? Do your ears still not hear? And when he's healing this man, he sighs, and he looks up to heaven, and then... Verse 34, at the end of it, we see the power again of the Lord Jesus Christ when he says unto him, Epaphatha, that is, 
be opened. Those are the same kind of words that looked at the storm and said, be still, be calm. All power, all authority is in the words of Jesus. And what is the effect? What happens? And straightway, his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain or he spake plainly. Be opened. That's a word of sovereign authority. A commandment from the king of the universe. The same kind of command that speaks to the storm is the Lord who gives the seeing eye. It's the Lord who speaks to the ear and it hears physically and spiritually. And straightway his ears were opened. The word of Christ has an immediate effect. His word not only opens the hearing ear, but the understanding of the mind. He opens the internal ear. He opens the heart as he did to a lady named Lydia. When we get into the book of Acts, the Bible says the words, the word of God, her heart was opened to it. The Lord Jesus opened her heart to understand and to hear these things. The Lord is opening the ears and the eyes and the minds of these men who will take this gospel out into all the world, making disciples of the nations. As we will see, progressing through these passages, that he is bringing the generations of lessons of the Old Testament to light, giving understanding, revealing the mysteries, as Paul tells us. The string of his tongue was loosed. What could that mean? The string of his tongue was loosed, and now he can speak plainly. Christ is the one who opens the mouth. The Holy Spirit fills the mouths of Christ's followers with Christ's words, teaching them what they should say. Again, we think of Peter at Pentecost. Oh Lord, the psalmist says, Oh Lord, you open my mouth. You open my lips. And my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Thy praise. Tonight, I hope that you'll, you're applying this not just to the disciples standing around Jesus, but to yourself as well. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And the same lessons apply to us tonight as applies to them. Well, then we see here that he charged them that they should tell no man. And we don't need to get into all that again tonight, but I do believe that Christ is completely God and he's also completely man. And he had a mission. And he was heading to the cross and there were crowds and mobs and and all of these things were happening. And he was kind of, he didn't want the the mob to get overly worked up. And he wasn't, he was trying to, the Pharisees were getting angrier and angrier. But he was doing this now. Don't tell anybody. But the more they would, he would say that, the more they would go on and tell. And and it just got more and more people and, and, and the crowds grew. Interesting, isn't it? How Jesus was saying that. This miracle acts as a parable, I believe. To teach, having ears. Hear ye not? He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Unplug those ears. Let the Lord Jesus speak and open that tongue and open those ears. Understand what I'm telling you. Open your ears to all that the prophets have spoken. The point of the miracle was not just to heal a single man of a physical infirmity. Now, and don't get me wrong. I do believe that that's one of the lessons we learn from these miracles. Jesus cares about individuals. Amen. He cares about physical healing. He cares about spiritual healing of individuals. But I believe maybe if we step back and see the whole picture, it's even bigger than that. And it's a parable. It's teaching us lessons. That the works... Remember what Jesus said when he healed the man in John 9? 
And or before he healed him in John 9, this is a blind man. Jesus spits again. And he puts it in the, mud, in the dirt, makes mud, puts the mud on his eyes. <clears throat> and they were questioning why, why did, what did this man do? What sin did he commit that he had this happen to him? And Jesus says, it wasn't any sin or his parents. But why? Why did this happen? That the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now that word works, I looked it up. It doesn't mean power because some say the power of God. But now that's true, the power of Jesus. But that word works is the same word as we see in the New Testament where it says you need to be going out and doing good works. It's the same kind of word, works. This is how you work. This is what you do. This is deeds. It's labor. It's toil. It's doings. The deeds of God. The way God works. The things he does. That the works of God may be made manifest in him and shown. It's a parable. Illustration. And these are the, this is powerful. This is what God can do. Healing miracles are not just showing the power of Christ, which they are, but acting as a display of what God is doing. <clears throat> what he's been up to. His plan and his purposes. Why is Jesus spitting? Right? Why, why wouldn't he just have approached the man and said, be opened? And he did, he did kind of those things in some instances. One time a lady member just touched the hem of his garment. And she was healed by the power that's in Christ. But why is he spitting? Why is he putting fingers on tongues and touching eyes and making mud and all of this? I think he's teaching us lessons, showing us things. He tells this man to go wash in the pool. Here's a thought tonight. When God works in your life, whether it's blessings, whether it's trials, we can understand that the works of God are being made manifest in us. Yes, he is concerned about us individually, but there are things going on that are bigger than what our eyes can see. Do you believe that tonight? In the teen class this morning, we talked a good bit about um, the need for us as God's people to see beyond ourselves. To see beyond ourselves. Ourselves are important, right? Right? God does love us. God is concerned about me. But I believe maybe we, in that emphasis, we forget sometimes that there's bigger things going on out here that God is doing than just me. God has a big plan. He's a big God, isn't he? He's doing wonderful things. He is God. He's, okay, so I need to see beyond just myself And see that God, even if he's given me a burden, even if he's given me a trial or a blessing, whatever it is, it's more than just about me. God wants to work his works, his works through me in whatever ways that he chooses. And I should allow him to do that. And again, that helps us with faith. It helps us to understand that I may not understand everything, but I can surely understand that I can trust God. And I can have faith in him no matter what he allows. Jesus is the healer of the blind, the deaf souls. He's come to bring life. He's come to bring sight. He's come to bring hearing and food and bread and water and cleansing. And on and on to obedient souls. To give new hearts. To die for our sins that we may see and hear and taste and know and live. This is what God is doing. At the end of that passage, it says, He hath done all things well. And He has, hasn't He? He hath done all things well. 
Now, we're not going to have time to go through it, but that other passage in Mark chapter, skipping the bread passage in chapters, chapter 8, 22 through 26, we see a man who couldn't see. Having eyes, see ye not? He says there in verse 18, and here's a blind man. And we'll pick it up here next week. But once again, an amazing account. A miracle done in stages. Jesus does a miracle in stages. What does that mean? You know, God is very kind to us with our lack of faith. And God often will help us, won't he? He'll give us little steps, like a ladder, to be able to help us to see a little more. He knows what we can handle. He knows what we can take. And again, I just believe that there's a reason why there's a deaf man and then there's a blind man. And in between it, we have this talk of the bread. And why can you not see? Why can you not hear? I think God's trying to tell us something. I think he's trying to teach us something in these passages. And may the Lord help us tonight, again, to apply that to ourselves. What about me tonight? What about my heart? What about my faith in Jesus? We, like the disciples, need to see that God is a big God. And he really knows what he's doing. And and, and see the big picture. To see Jesus and hear with understanding. And with faith in God. He's working out his plan. He's doing it through you. He's doing it through me. We get to be a part of the plan of God. Isn't that something? In this world. And praise him for it. May he help us tonight to have ears that hear, eyes that see. May we pray for that. Amen? God, give us understanding. God, God show us what you're trying to, to do. Or at least, Lord, help us to have faith. To trust you. To trust you. And use us, use us powerfully in this world. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray for those things. God, uh, there's a lot here. But uh, Lord, I thank you for, we thank you tonight for Jesus Christ. And Lord, for these miracles that he displayed. And Lord, the power of God. Lord, we know that these miracles show us. They're the greatest works ever done. That shows us who Jesus is and his power. Lord, it shows us, as he says, be opened, how that the deaf were able to hear. Lord, we know all of that. And Lord, we believe we see tonight, too, that you were teaching your men there about having ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, living a life of faith. Lord, you've told us not to worry about eating and drinking and what we should wear and not to have anxiety But Lord, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To have those kinds of eyes, those kinds of ears. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to see Jesus is the bread of life come down from heaven. Just like the manna in the wilderness. Lord, Jesus is teaching us so much in these passages. I pray that you'll help us to have Lord, if need be, scales fall from our eyes and help us to see, Lord, that you are a big God and that you are doing your work. Lord, that Jesus Christ is doing his work in this world, bringing souls to himself and that God, thank you that we get to be part of your plan. Lord, I pray that we will do your work in this world, seeing beyond ourselves That, Lord, our Christianity will not just be a way out of hell, but that, God, it will truly be fruit 
born upon the trees of our life. That Lord, through us, people will be able to partake of this bread, drink of this living water. Lord, we thank you that you are God, that Jesus came. Lord, we thank you for your precious word. And God, I pray that tonight, if there's anyone here who is deaf, blind, and hasn't accepted Christ as their own Savior, that, Lord, they'll come to Jesus tonight, that they'll partake of this bread, this living water tonight, that they'll know the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.